In the Bible, we call that a word of encouragement. I want to encourage your outfit this morning. Very spiritual work you're doing this morning. I, uh, I, I've had a good, a good morning being with uh, our community today, and we are in prayer. By the way, if you don't know about 9.15 a.m. prayer, come and just pray. Come and be a part of really some of the, the most uh, robust work of the community and gathering of believers is actually prayer. And we're actually going to do some of that today. Um, and this is going to be a short one, I hope. You know what I, I go like, it's a short one, and then I talk for 15 minutes. I'm going to do my best not to do that because it's warm in here, and though uh, the nice, like, glisten of sweat kind of makes us all glow, we're not going to do that today. For the past couple of weeks, we've been asking what it means to live a life of worship. Can you say a life of worship? We want to know how to be devoted in a world of division and option overload. Like Elijah in this story, he says, how long will you waver between opinions, O Israel? If Baal is God, worship Baal. But if Yahweh, if Adonai is God, then worship God. And, and they have this moment on the mountain. And, and we, we find ourselves pulled in so many different directions in our own lives by things that seem simple, but sometimes behind those simple things, there are even spiritual powers maybe pulling you your tension, your time, your love and affection away from Yahweh, which is the place where you will find true flourishing in your heart. And you feel these tensions within you, these anxieties. And you're like, why is that there? It might just be option overload. It might just be because of this question that Elijah is asking, how long will you waver between opinions? Who are you going to worship with your very life? Then we ask how? Then it, let's say we, 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 see, we see the signs, we see the things that might be pulling us in different directions, and we, and we say, okay, that's good. Now, I'm trying to set my eyes on Jesus, but I'm feeling still some pains. I'm feeling some internal struggle within me. I've done what I think I'm supposed to do, and I still find myself lacking. The second week, we asked how to press on and lean into God's care and provision, even when we're pressed and pained on all sides. We talked about the song, Oh Happy Day, in 1968, the song that was released, and, it, and it, the words were, Oh Happy Day, Oh Happy Day, when Jesus washed all my sins away, he taught me how to walk, fight, and pray, watch, fight, and pray. And then we looked at the contrast of the moment that they were singing that song. And oh, happy day, you would probably associate with what? What sort of emotion would you associate with oh, happy day? What sort of emotion? Anyone? Happiness, joy, right? But you look at the moment in history that that song was birthed into, and you see uh, just turmoil. You see the assassination of MLK, of John Kennedy, of Robert F. Ken of Robert Kennedy, of Malcolm X, of Medgar Evers, of, like all these leaders and, and tensions within society. And then at the same time, there's like people landing on the moon. And it's like, it's not this moment in history where everyone looks back and goes, oh, happy day. So what does it mean to be a joyous people, even in the tension of our moment? And we looked at the life of Elijah and how he lived in this moment that was very tough, but he seemingly has a victory, right? Fire pours from heaven, the people kind of turn, and we'll go over that again back. And then he runs away after God does a huge miracle, and he says, it's too much for me. 
take my life. And in the third week, Lance Sherwood from Communion Church came and shared with us about something really practical, how to live every day, how to live tomorrow morning, how to live Monday, how to live in our vocations as unto God and not just to people. So he made that worship really practical. Worship, by the way, I'm, I'm the worship pastor here at Neighbors, and hear me, when you think of worship, I would love to reorder your imagination around worship. It does not mean songs. It means your life. It means your whole life. It means every interaction and every action that you have is a form of worship. And so depending on what that action or interaction looks like kind of determines what God that you're serving. So we have to be really careful about those sort of things. And so when we're working, what is the intent of our hearts? Where are we ordered? Where are we focused? You can work really hard and be a Christian, but if your order of your heart is all about your own ambition, success, security, which are none of those things are bad things, that is not worship unto God. But if as you work, your heart is ordered and focused and leaning in the direction of like, I'm not doing this for man. I'm not doing this for approval. I'm not doing this for success. I'm doing this because this work that I have before me is something that God is partnering with me in for the sake of human flourishing, for the sake of renewal in the world. Then that, is, that becomes a form of worship. It's not just like all work, ah, you know. Whatever I do is worship just because. No, it has to be something that you're doing on purpose. For example, I could say like, oh, to my wife, Alexa, she's like a vision sitting right there. Oh, um, I could say, hey, everything I do is because I love you. But if there's no intent to show her that I love her, if I say everything I do is because I love you, but I never took her out on a date, how many of you guys would say, that's good, no red flags there, that's absolutely not toxic? Show hands. Right. I would have to be intentional in my time and attention towards her for it to actually be a form of affection, for it to actually have any sort of value in our relationship. Lance was laying that same thing out there for us when it pertains to work and our relationship to God. If you're not caught up on all of these things, if you want to hear me ramble for 50 minutes and Lance, a pro, talk for like 25 minutes and just like right to the heart, go ahead and listen to the podcast. We've got a podcast. How many of you ever listened to the podcast? Oh, this is good. This is great. Okay, that's more than I thought half the room. I need the other half to listen to the podcast because that's basically um, all I do throughout the week is edit the podcast. Uh, All our Sunday teachings are on there. There are contemplates. We actually have podcasts that lead you through meditative prayer practices and conversations on things that are happening in the moment and in culture. It's beautiful. You can also catch up on this series, A Life of Worship, before Dan comes back next week and brings down the house. We've looked at together the life of Elijah, one of the last prophets of his day. In a story of external victory and internal frustration, Elijah sees what we might consider to be from the outside a revival, a full-blown revival, a large-scale renewal. The people of Israel turn to Yahweh after he shows up in glory and fire. They have this like battle on the mountain. If you, if you, like, if you like really like Harry Potter or whatever, you're like, wizard battles are sick. The Bible has plenty of those. Um, they're, they're, I'm kidding. But they're up on this mountain, and, and Elijah says, hey, if, if, if your God answers with fire, and there's like, and this 
you know, this offering, this, this miraculous, seldom happening moment. Like, you read the Bible and it seems like you see miracles everywhere, but you, when you begin to look at the whole timeline of Scripture, you realize that, like, every once in a while, something crazy happens. And people often look at those things and go, like, no way the Bible could be true because this ridiculous, strange thing is happening. And you're like, yeah. I'd say probably in history, in the history of mankind, about every couple of hundred years, something really weird and unexplainable happens. So miracles aren't that, like, strange when you begin to actually look at the picture of history. And in this moment in history, for this specific group of people, they experience this moment where these 450 prophets of Baal are like, hey, you know, they're praying and they're like, set this thing on fire, this altar on fire. And they're cutting at themselves with swords and they're doing their sort of ritual sacrifice and worship and there's nothing. And Elijah is sarcastically saying, maybe he's using the restroom. Like he's really, go read it. It actually says, maybe he's using the restroom. Maybe he can't hear you all the way up there. Elijah is hilarious. Um, a funny prophet. And then, and then Elijah goes and he says, I want you to actually pour water on the altar pour more water, more water, more water. And then he says a simple prayer. Answer, Lord, and fire from heaven onto this altar. God answers. I need my little timer here. There you go. God answers. It's a moment of great victory. What would seem like revival. All the people turn back to Yahweh and say, the Lord, he is God. And by many accounts, this is what Elijah should have wanted. But as we talked about in, a, in week two, suffering and victory often live in the same hand. Often our wounds live right alongside our wins. They're not mutually exclusive. He saw this moment of great victory, but he was still suffering an existential crisis, a crisis that led to suicidal ideation. He says in the text, I've had enough. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord. This is his prayer. It is vulnerable and honest before God because he knew how much it meant in his context for an Israelite to see a miracle, right? You would maybe think, man, if I saw something like that, if I saw a miracle like that, I wouldn't uh, ever turn my back on God. I wouldn't ever doubt God, but if you know anything about uh, human psychology, about uh, the sort of arc of history, and we don't learn from big, you know, sweeping moments like this. And Elijah knew the same thing. He knew how much it meant for an Israelite to see a miracle. If you know the stories as well as he does, you know it sometimes means next to nothing after a century at best. And at worst, which is what Elijah lived, you'd see the miracle and immediately deny it. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, it just makes me laugh because it shows like what humans are like is in uh, the book of Luke and it talks about uh, this moment, the last moment that Jesus has seen. Jesus rises from the dead and they're like, whoa, Jesus, you're here. This is insane. And, and then, you know, then he's got a group of about 120 around him. They gather around, they're like, tell us more. He just starts like dropping knowledge on them that like is not in the text. And then, and then he leaves and the Bible says, and then he ascended and ascended, you know, like this idea that maybe... Whoosh, and you guys are like, okay, man, that sounds so strange to us modern people, but they totally believed it back then. But no, the scripture actually says, and some saw him ascending and did not believe it. Like, oh, I've got a cousin that can do that same thing. That guy, that's, that's just how we are as people. 
We see miracles. We see these big things happen, but we don't always believe. We don't always, it doesn't always change us from the inside out. And so he's kind of, he's, Elijah's in this moment and he sees the renewal happen, the fire falls from heaven and he's like, okay, you know what? I, cool, great job, guys. You know what? Rain's probably coming back. He runs, he, another miracle happens where he starts running. He's running alongside the chariot of Ahab and he's like, rain's coming back, go eat whatever. And he goes into a cave and he starts dealing with heavy thoughts, suicidal ideation, and even brings this before God as a, as a broken man and says, I've had enough. This is too much for me. The people run towards you and then they run away. One minute I feel that I'm safe and then the next moment Jezebel's like, I'll have your head. Yahweh doesn't answer this prayer by affirming Elijah. He doesn't look at Elijah in this moment and go, hey, dude, Come on, man. You're Elijah. You're dope. You know how many miracles you've done? I, he doesn't even say like, I, I, listen, man, let me tell you about your worth right now. Let me just lift you up off your feet. He does something very simple. He doesn't reinforce how dope Elijah is. Yahweh, by way of an angel, seems to agree with Elijah about the status of his soul. He doesn't agree with Elijah's solution, right? He doesn't say, all right, you know what? That is enough for you. He, he does see clearly the status of his soul. And as we read in the text, it says, the journey is too much for you. Get, get up, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And as we talked about again in week two, God isn't just leaving him alone. He's actually caring for him. This is the most base and normative form of care. This is like such a human thing to do. I've struggled with it personally in my life, having like panic attacks for since I can remember really. Having these moments where, you know, I couldn't breathe. I felt like death was close and usually my whole body kind of collapses in on itself. It comes and goes. And sometimes, and I know this, the best thing that anyone can really do for me in that moment, some people don't like closeness in that moment, so this is not a general, like, if you know someone that's had a panic attack, not everyone likes them to be close, so, you know, sometimes you got to give them room to breathe. I don't like that. I don't like being alone, probably because of the experience of it in the first place. I'm like, get close to me, and what I need in that moment is, like, water, give me a, a glass of water. My wife knows this. She's like, yeah, let's, let's drink some water. And, it, and it's amazing. It's beautiful. And I'm like, <laughs> um, and, and some food. God Almighty, who's just like poured fire from heaven, who's just turned the hearts of the people back to himself, that uh, brings rain from the sky, doesn't like just change Elijah's whole state by... I don't know, snapping his fingers and making Elijah happy. He gives him food to eat. And he shows Elijah's value in the base need. Let me care for your body, which matters, not just his soul, your body and your soul, because we are holistic beings that you might carry on. The journey is too much for you, Elijah. Today, you don't have what it takes. You are not the hero of this story. It's not on you to be the patient, just, miracle-working, merciful, jealous, holy Lord of Israel. 
That's my job. But, but, because I'm calling you to represent my personhood to this corner of the world, I do want you to look like me. And I'm not weary, and I'm not worried, so I want you to carry this sort of presence with you. So in order for this to happen, let me take care of you. And you can carry my easy yoke, my light burden. We often get into the mistake of thinking that our healing, our hope, our care should end with us. But God doesn't just care for Elijah because of Elijah. And this is something you have to hold in tension. I'm not, I'm not going to swing the pendulum and say, your care, your healing is not about you at all. Get ready to lay your life down and run yourself into the ground. It, that's, you've maybe heard that before. Um, but that's, that's not what this is saying. You have to hold these things in tension. You've been healed. You've been cared for by a loving, kind, good, good father, as we sang this morning, for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world. For the sake of the world around you. For the people around you. For your spouse. For your friends. For your coworkers. For your student peers. For your children. How many of you, by a show of hands, uh, would say God has been kind to you? You've experienced the goodness of God in some measure. Good. This is really good. I'm so glad. I, I don't know if I missed anyone, but if I did miss you and I didn't see you and you didn't raise your hand, we've got like prayer for that in just a moment. Now, the most natural and supernatural, in fact, reaction to an experience of goodness is a spreading of, a retelling of, a sharing of, through your very life, that goodness. I know a lot of people that have experienced the peace of God and are just not peaceful people to be around. And I've never understood it. Do you, <laughs> have you, have you, you know, I have people that, that you know, talk about them, and they're like, oh, God is so good. I've experienced his peace and joy, but anything can set them off like that. Or, or just little, th like, they're like a, a ball of anxiety, but they love Jesus. And I'm like, I don't, these things don't make sense to me. These things don't go together to me. With so much grace and patience that God has for those people, so this isn't a moment for you to go, yeah, I know people like that. Because God is not doing that. God is not going, ugh, them. He's so patient. He's so kind. He is so with us in our process. This morning, Dwayne gave a word in prayer. If you want to hear Dwayne give words in the morning, then just come to 915 prayer and you'll just get like, uh, he, he talked about how God is with us in this moment, in the current part of your process, where you find yourself right now. He's not rushing to get you anywhere. He's not in a hurry. God is not a God of hurry. And I, and I don't mean like years like, I don't mean like a year. I don't even, I don't mean like weeks. I mean like God will literally wait for you your whole life if he has to. He, this, is, this is what he does. Like he, he even with these guys, in, in the story, in, in the story of Elijah, it is about 
200 years before God goes, okay, I'm going to show up and do something about all this pain that you're causing because I've been graceful and patient with you and you keep on turning your back on me, you keep on oppressing others, you keep on serving the gods of Baal. And in this moment, he's like, I'm going to show up and give you another chance and they turn to him and and then they turn on him again later, but we're not going to go there. God is transforming you with time and he's healing your wounds and he's changing you and he's changing us. But hear me out. God's work in you is not primarily a therapeutic work. Right? Like, so a therapist sits down with you and they, they work through what's going on in your life, but they don't go like talk to your family and friends. That would be a breach of ethical, I don't know, something. So there's like four therapists in the room. You could probably know. You guys correct me afterwards. Breach of ethics. It's not, it's not a good thing to do, right? The therapeutic work kind of usually begins with you, and when that 50 minutes is up, and you got to give them that 300 bucks. <laughs> if you guys know of any cheap therapists, send them my way. It's over, right? It begins with you. It ends with you. God's work is not primarily therapeutic. This sort of therapeutic world, we actually find ourselves in a moment where there's a sort of therapeutic world view. It's like people will set themselves entirely in it. It'll begin and end with them. So here is my, my God is personal peace. And evil is Anything that interrupts that peace, right? So I got to like, I got to, if you're interrupting my piss, then you're toxic and I'm cutting you out, right? Like, I love, I love Twitter. I don't, I hate it. But, but like the whole idea of like a red flag, this person is a red flag because there's something about them that makes me feel uncomfortable or there's something about them that challenges who I am as a person. There's something like you could keep on going and going and going and then you categorize that person so that you don't have to deal with them because it's interrupting your peace. This is the therapeutic worldview. It is not the Jesus worldview. This is not like, man, you should, you should be so healthy and if there are people that are bringing pain into your life and continuously wounding you and using you and just being terrible, yeah, don't spend a lot of time with them. Don't do that. That's just like at a base level. That's pretty smart. But to base your whole worldview around this concept, you'll find yourself isolated and alone. Because there's always going to be something about people as you come deeper into relationship that's going to bother you about them. Right? In your, get, like, get into a community right now, and at about a year in, you'll have some sort of confrontation and just keep on leaning in. Like, be mad at each other and just love each other. Because <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is, I know it's a hard thing to hear, and I'm going to have to do it. Like, I, my, my group is not a year old, and at some point, somebody's going to go, you know what, I'm sick of you. And I'm going to be like, I'm sick of you too. I love you. <laughs> like, that, that's, what you, that's what you have to do. We're not primarily under the umbrella of a therapeutic worldview, where if our peace is interrupted, we part, go our separate ways. Sometimes it does come to that. Again, if you do find yourself in that place, there's so much nuance to that, and there's so much, like, I'm not trying to make these broad, sweeping statements that you should live your whole life by, 
But I, I am going to bring this side of the story because everything you hear everywhere else, Instagram is going to tell you the opposite. Weigh it, figure it out for yourself, pray about it. And, and this sort of therapy in, in general, just as a fun side note, is actually something that was catalyzed by the church, right? So the sort of new world therapy that's there now, uh, the, the idea that you need healing in your soul, the idea that you need some things that need to be mended within you, that's not a like a secular worldview. That's something that in the early days of the church, people began doing and devoting their whole lives to studying humanity and how we function as humans emotionally. And the church was the place where you would go to receive soul or cure for the soul, right? Like, and, and it just continued to go and build and become its own institution and eventually branched off. And, you know, so it's not, it, it plays its part. It's not something that you should turn your back on. But God's work is one of total renewal. And, and th that doesn't mean like total individualistic renewal. That means he's actually coming to renew this world that we live in. He's coming to renew this city that we live in. He's coming to renew the job that you're in and the people around you and the institution or school that you find yourself in, the church that you're in, the work, the job that you're in, like whatever it might be. He's looking for someone that will devote themselves and, and, and bow themselves before him as a broken vessel to say, God, I want to see that renewal with you the renewal of all things through Jesus and those Jesus has called to be his disciples. That's you. Broken vessels as we are. Jesus, if you're taking notes, which none of you are. Oh, there you go, Hannah. Hannah went, Whoa. that was good. Thank you. Thank you so much. That makes me feel good. Um, and that's all I need. It's just kind of feel good. I'm just kidding. Um, inner peace. Jesus... Sarcasm is not of the Lord either, y'all. I'm going to call myself out. Uh, Jesus is not, Jesus is not satisfied to let the renewal stop with you. This might sound extreme. Again, boundless grace, the patience of God included. If your renewal has not affected a peace and renewal around you in your sphere of influence, part of me, or, or, or let's, I'll make it personal. If, if, if my renewal did not affect peace in the environment around me, I would begin to ask personally if I experienced a renewal at all, or if I just had a sort of religious, emotional experience that felt nice for a moment, and then I decided of what my rhetoric would be, and then I went out and lived with that rhetoric, but not with my actual life. If your renewal has not affected a peace and renewal around you or, or in your sphere of influence, I'd ask if you've experienced a true renewal. There's nothing wrong with experiencing a, a personal, momentous renewal. It's just not the same effect as God's renewal. And, and again, this is not a moment. This is a lifetime of moving in that direction. We've kind of been trained to think like this is what renewal looks like. At the end of this service, I'm going to go. Now, if any of you guys want to receive renewal, come up here to the front right now and your whole life is going to change in the name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Uh, there's a place for that. 
but usually it looks like you leave here and then tomorrow morning you go and get on your knees and pray and ask God, today, God, would you do a renewal work in me? And then Tuesday you wake up and you go, today, God, would you do a renewal work in me? And then you have a fight with someone. And then Wednesday morning you wake up and you go, God, would you do a renewal work in me? And then Thursday you wake up and you say, God, would you do a work of renewal in me? And then Thursday you make a big mistake and you're like, God, would you do a renewal work in me? And then Friday you go to your community and you're like, I want God to do a renewal work in me. And they all lay hands on you and you guys kind of like pray for one another, do a renewal work in us. And then Saturday comes and you guys are doing Sabbath and you're eating and you're taking a bite of that delicious brunch and you're like, God, do a renewal work in me. And then Sunday morning, you come here and together we pray, God, would you do a renewal work in me? And you do that for your whole life and incrementally you will see yourself transforming and the world around you will begin to be affected. But we are not perfect, right? That, and that's what I'm trying to say. It's not gonna happen right now and a lot of us get down on ourselves, myself included, if it does not happen right now. We want to experience a true and personal renewal that is witnessed by our, our love for one another. We often wonder, like, why is the world going the way that it is? Why does it seem like things are coming apart at the seams? And then some people maybe even think, didn't they pay attention to how dope the church was? If they had just done everything that we'd done, if they had just listened to us the whole time, maybe the world would be right. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? If we really look at what's going on out there, and yeah, there are so many statistics about how you know, people in church, they usually live more stable lives. This is just statistically true. People that find themselves a part of a religious community have less existential crisis, you know, by and large. They usually uh, don't feel as isolated. There's so many things. But then there are other st statistics that would say that there's a lot of pain still, a lot of suffering still a lot of dysfunction in the institutions that you can see on any news outlet, no matter what side you fall on. And so, man, why is it that you look out and you see this sort of dysfunction? And then you look at the words of Jesus, and then he says, you'll know me, they will know me by your love for one another. Not by your rhetoric, not by the sort of cultural rules you've set in place, which, oh man, all, all matter. Bylaws, rules, doctrine, you need to know that and understand it to live a, a genuine sort of authentic Christianity. If you don't know those things and you're kind of just deciding for yourself who God is, you're probably experiencing a God of your own making. So you need to know those things, but God is not known known primarily by those written things, by, by the outside world. He says, the world will know you by the way you love each other, the way that you care for each other as broken vessels, as broken vessels. And so I'm going to pray here. This is what we're going to pray for 
this morning. And I have an illustration for you to kind of maybe stir your affection, stir your imagination for the sort of people we might be able to be. And we're going to like break off in like two, three, whatever, and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray quickly and pointedly and then go, I don't know, eat ice cream. It is so warm in here. There's this Japanese art called kintsugi. Um, it is, it is a, a reformational art. It is a, what I would like to call a renewal sort of art. If you want to know anything about it, like in detail, and you want to look at a, the, the best um, sort of Christian perspective on that art, go read Makoto Fujimura, Art and Faith will blow your mind. Um, and, and it's really easy and short read. You guys readers, show of hand, readers? Good, read the Bible. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, also read other books, they're really good, really helpful. I, there's this art, the Japanese art, Makoto Fujimura, The Art and Faith, go read that book as well. Art and faith. Uh, there is this art called Kintsugi. And it started during a time of war. Um, as I, I'm going to mess up all the details. Let's be very general here and then go read the book and get specific about it. It started in, in, a, in a time of war where an invading country came into Japan and just wrecked so many things. And they have this beautiful and intentional uh, thought and process towards every little thing they design. Very practical things as well, like the dishes on which they eat, the, the things on which they drink water out of, vases, all these things. And, and so it was like all this thing, that this, it's like this art just destroyed. And, and after this war invaded and they fought off those, those people, uh, they, they had all this broken pieces of their lives. Things that would... Uh, be based to functioning. Ah, I want to drink out of a cup of water. Or, or like I want to make tea out of this pot or this plate. And they're all broken. And so um, there, were, there were these artists that were commissioned specifically for more wealthy people to take those broken pieces and to mend them using fine materials, using gold most of the time. And they'd take those broken pieces. And oftentimes it wouldn't be like pieces that had... It was a long time after, too. It wasn't like they immediately thought of this. It was about 50 years after, and they kept all those broken pieces. They were a culture of, like, nothing should be wasted. They kept those broken pieces, and about 50 to 100 years later, there's these artists that were commissioned in wealthy homes to go and mend those pieces, and, and they would be used again. And it's funny because after that point, the, these broken pieces of these people's lives became more valuable when mended by a masterful hand. And I think, I think, and you've probably heard this in a teaching before. I've heard it in a teaching before. But I think it still rings true and powerful that if you find yourself and you, you can come to a place where you're honest with yourself and say, I need help. I need the work of a master to come in and take the broken pieces of my life, maybe even the parts that I do not see, and mend me. Not for my own sake, because I'm a vessel, and I actually have something that needs to be poured out onto a broken world, right? I, I, I'm, I'm beautiful and valuable, even more valuable than I was before, 
now that I've been mended, but I, I'm a vessel as well for the sake of the world, that your life would actually be like a, like a healing solve, like a, like a tall glass of water, like we all need right now in this hot room, right? Like, if we could be that. And so we're going to pray into that this morning. I want, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break off into like two or three so the people around you, whatever, if you find yourself comfortable with someone, it could just be the two, you know, whatever it is. And we're going to pray for two things. These things. We are going to pray for, man, I'm really good at balancing. Personal renewal in ourselves. Yeah, let, like let's start there. That's where God starts. He usually starts with us. And pray, man, I, I want to know what it's like to be whole. I want to know what it's like to be mended. I do, and, and it's not always the best work, but like always the most fun work. But I want to see the cracked and broken pieces of my life. And, oh man. And I want God to mend those things. Another fun part of the work of a, of a master of Kintsugi, they can take, do you, this is crazy. They can actually... Uh, hold a, a vase or something and know the way that it's going to break before it breaks. Like they can, like, they'll, they'll literally go like, they do these tests once they become masters where they'll hold the pot and they'll say, okay, it's going to break here, 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 and it'll break exactly that way. They're so acquainted with like the brokenness that they're not surprised or afraid when it happens. I didn't come up with that. God, it was like, come on. We're praying for personal renewal. Get in your group, two, three, four, whatever. We're, uh, Paul will play, or, and then we'll, we'll come together and sing after we pray for cultural renewal. After, and that doesn't have to be the whole world. Don't think too big. Don't think like, God, will you save our nation? Like, think of, God, will you save the culture of my house? God, will you save the culture of my school, of my work? of just my relationship with this one friend that I feel like is broken, but I, look, would you save this culture? The culture of the church at large right now that is like, man, we're, sometimes I feel like we're being humiliated out there and sometimes rightfully so. God, would you mend the culture of the church? Would you turn our hearts back towards you? We're gonna pray for those two things. Let's start with personal renewal. And here, and again, just one more thing. Try not to talk too much. If, if you can explain what you need prayer for and say, and you'll have somebody else pray for your personal renewal, right? Like, I need prayer for this. They'll pray for you. But try to make it quick, you know, so you can spend most of your time doing the work of prayer. We're going to literally take only eight to 10 minutes doing this. So spend your time doing the work of prayer. Try not to like be like, oh, like, let's talk for five minutes and then pray for two. Uh, get in a community and do that uh, because that's what it's for and it's beautiful. Um, you guys ready? We're going to do the work of prayer right now. The God that loves and cares for us and that answers, that is mending our hearts. That's, that's like the most exciting part of our morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet us this morning as we pray? And for the people that maybe are listening on the podcast as well, would you begin to do a mending work in them, even this moment? Would you take a moment and pause and pray for personal renewal, for cultural renewal in your life? Lord, Holy Spirit, come and be with us in this room, 
now as we do the work of partnering with you in the renewal of the world as broken vessels. Show us how to live lives of worship.